Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with us. You're welcome. And uh, we are here with our Upper Room Conference participants from all over the Archdiocese. And Matt, I know that you've had a number of interactions with our Archdiocese. You've got a sort of a long-standing relationship with uh, Clay Emo and, uh, and a few others that, uh, that are out here. Tell us about that, that connection with the Archdiocese of Vancouver. Wow. Well, I mean, it goes back a really long time, um, probably 20 years, almost yeah, yeah, I would say probably 20 years now, um, at least. And uh, I met Clay when he was a youth minister, I think at St. Paul's Parish. Right. And subsequently, um, we met through a uh, Catholic youth ministry program called Life Teen. And then Clay, you know, sort of tempted me to come up to Vancouver with the promise of all you can eat sushi. So <laughs> that was pretty much all he needed to do. He does that a lot. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I, I grew up in Newfoundland, Canada, so I've, I've, I love Canada, but I particularly love the coastline of Canada. So mm-hmm. both the East and the West. And so, um, yeah, I just think a longstanding friendship, uh, formed and a real love, uh, for the people there and the culture and also just the activity of the church and, mm-hmm. uh, tried to continue to be. Uh, an encouragement and a source of support. Now, many of our guests and our participants at the Upper Room will know you as Matt Marr, the artist, musician, worship leader. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your story and uh, and how God has moved in your life? Sure. Um, well, like I said, I grew up in Newfoundland, Canada. I lived there for 20 years. Uh, the summer of my t- going into my 21st birthday, uh, I moved to Arizona. Which I always say is proof that God has a sense of humor because he moved a guy from Newfoundland, which is an island, uh, you know, surrounded by the Atlantic, to the hottest, driest place in North America, um, (laughs) which would be the American Southwest. So I moved to Phoenix uh, 25 years ago this year. Okay. Long story short, had a cousin my age that I grew up with who had moved to Arizona uh several years 10 years prior she ended up attending a catholic school that um was attached to a parish that was the second parish to ever start uh the life teen program so she invited me to go to mass with her and uh i spent kind of the summer hanging out with her and her friends because they were all college students um and i didn't really know anybody else i moved there my parents got divorced Um, so I kind of moved there in some ways to start over. Um, I wanted to go to LA and do film scoring. And so I kind of, that was, I think what sort of alluded or or I should say alerted me out to the Southwest was that I thought it was going to be a pit stop. And it, it just became really apparent to me that, um, it just felt like God, God had actually invited me out there. You know, um, I always believed in God. I grew up, was born and raised Catholic, but I always tell people I never knew God believed in me. And I think that's the the nature of relationship, you know, with God. It's not um, a, a completely, it's not an equal relationship in the sense that, like, we can't 
love God the way that God loves us. Yeah. So, um, you know, we just, we try to respond with the totality of our lives, but it's never really enough. And, um, so I started going back to mass and then I went back and I went to confession by the end of the summer. And, um, next thing you know, I was helping out with the youth group on Sunday nights and it was kind of the goofy guy who would, you know, I knew cover songs and, um, would, you know, be in jokes or skits or whatever. And then that fall, I ended up doing the music on a youth retreat. And that was when I had a very powerful conversion experience. And it was the weekend of my 21st birthday. So 25 years ago, this, this November, and my life really hadn't been the same. You mentioned earlier that there was a moment where, uh, your, your awakening to believing that God believed in you and, uh, and that he he saw you as more than than what you saw yourself in 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 a certain way. Like, how did that affect the way you saw life and, and the way you you moved in, um, yeah, in, in life? I I think there are effects that are immediate, and then yeah. there are deeper, lasting effects that are more gradual. And I think yeah. that's the nature of conversion, right? So, like, we have we have very real experiences of faith that are sudden. And they're jolting and, you know, they're kind of meant to kind of wake us up in a way. Yeah. And then, and then I think there's, um, but then there's also sort of more things that are more deliberate that more involve, uh, sort of, a handing over of the will to God that produce lasting change. And that stuff is just more of the, the co-laboring with Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of working on, we're working on ourselves, but we're not, it's not, we're not really doing the work by ourselves. Right? We're still doing it with the assistance of God's grace. We can't do it without that. So I yeah. think like what I would say is that there was this immediate experience or encounter realization of the love of God that hits you and you immediately start looking back over your whole life and and some of it is you're looking at the mistakes you've made mm. and but still sort of experiencing and hearing an interior voice that isn't your own mm-hmm. that says um you know you're 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 more than this yeah and um and I think with that also comes uh so like a sense of being overwhelmed, a sense of awe, and then also a, sometimes some feelings of inadequacy of like like who like I don't deserve this, you know. And I I think in some ways that you know it's like uh it's like at the gospel when Jesus performs the miracle of the fish and Peter you know falls to his knees and says, "Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man." He has this encounter with God. But then immediately, as he looks inward, he also sees his own shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what, in a, like over and over again in the scriptures, that's what happens when people have a very real encounter with God. It's like, one, wow, God is incredibly like God. And two, um, I am not. And, yeah. and, I, and, and I think that's, that's a gift. I think there's a gift of humility in there. It's like knowing your limitations, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think, and it's not even so much just necessarily about being heaped on with amounts of shame, 
it's it's less about that. I mean, I think there always is uh, w- with any sort of illumination of the conscience or the soul comes an awareness of one's like sinfulness. And that's just that's part of the sort of the reality of the Christian worldview. But I think but also less than that is also just a sense of. I, I don't know, like a a sense of. Uh, I've I've been. I don't want to say like, I mean yeah maybe maybe a sense of like like I've 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 been living a lie or I've I bought into a counterfeit or the there's more to this story than I thought, right? And uh, and but I but throughout it all, uh, like I said, profound sense of the love of God. And and with it, I think like a that deeper sense of peace mm-hmm. uh, that comes like gradually, feel, like you just you feel known. Yeah, maybe for some people for the first. I'm an artist, so artists are like obsessed with that, right? They just they want people like I, I need you to see me, and right. and so that's I mean that's why I write songs. It's sort of like it's there's this thing of like, I I'm trying to get everything that's going on inside of me out. Mm-hmm. But I think with, when it came to my faith, it was sort of this thing of God's like, you don't have to do that. Cause like, I already see you. That's beautiful. It sounds uh, like what you're sharing comes from a deep personal relationship with God that has uh, been matured over time. And uh, <laughs> I, really, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are moments where we feel like we're stepping back, we're moving forward in, in relationship. And, and of course, God is always doing a good work in us. And sometimes it's it's us trying to understand that work. Um, and and we may not know what's what's going on, uh, but but there's a, a stepping into trust or perhaps even stepping out in faith to know that that God's inviting us into intimacy. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So with regards to uh, the music that you write and, and how you, um, you found yourself in the space that you're in, how did God reveal that to you and invite you into, uh, into the work that you're, you're doing now? Well, I mean, it was, for me, it was very practical, like uh, in the sense that I played music my whole life and it was something I was already doing so that when I had a conversion, um, the context in which my conversion happened, there were people writing, creating contemporary music, you know, that contextualized their faith. It's sort of, you know, they wrote about God. They wrote songs about God. They sang songs about God. Some of them you sang in coffee houses. Some of them you went to mass and you were at a parish where there was a musician and he's, you know, I ended up um, about a year into living in Phoenix. I ended up at a parish in, in Arizona called St. Tim's where there were two other sort of, you know, guys in their mid thirties who were, uh, you know, Catholic musicians, uh, who were liturgical music ministers. That's all they did. They didn't, you know, the Southwest had this whole sort of liturgical revival, you know, um, uh, all opinions aside that really produced a lot of, a lot of music. And, so I was part of a parish that um, was sort of an epicenter for that. It was, and it was also the parish that started Life Teen. So 
I was sort of in this environment where people were constantly encouraged me, encouraging me to use my gifts and talents to glorify God. It didn't mean that every song I wrote, we would sing at church. I wrote a lot of bad songs um, for, to, you know, that maybe we would sing at mass that just, it's like, oh, this doesn't fit or this, you know, whatever. So, and then I, like I said, I played out. I, I, I was a jazz major at ASU. I graduated in 99. I was playing gigs at um, bars and coffee houses around town. I was writing songs about relationships. A lot of them were really bad. Um, and then I occasionally would write a song about my faith. And it was always, when it came to worship music, it was always, it served a function, um, which it, you know, it's weird to have such a utilitarian view of art because art isn't designed necessarily that way. It's like, it's beautiful, good, and true just the way it is. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be like in service of evangelization in order for it to be considered good art. Um, you know, that's not a Catholic worldview, but the stuff that I wrote, I was writing it for retreats and I was writing it for, you know, a Monday night prayer meeting or a Bible study or, um, you know, nights where they'd have adoration and I would start like sort of spontaneously, like coming up with a lyric or a melody. Um, that stuff that that's what I mean. It served the utility in the sense that like there was some other spiritual function happening. And I found myself there going like, Oh, there hasn't been a litany of the saints written in like 10 years or 15 years. I'll sit down and write one. And then, Oh, it'd be kind of cool because I sang in chamber choirs in college. It'd be really cool if we used a little bit of Latin because no one, people don't use Latin anymore at the time. So, um, so that's what I mean. There was a certain amount of utility uh, there, you know, which now I look back on it and I, and it, I think it says a lot about God just inspiring people to be creative, like in, in the, in the mundane or in the everyday in, in like where you are and what you're doing and not necessarily in some, some sort of like far off moment in time when you're finally going to get to be part of some great creative moment. It's like, I was playing at, we had deacons at our parish. They would do group baptisms on Saturdays. And the litany of the saints, I hated the one that we did. I didn't like the setting of it. I loved the litany. I didn't like the music. Right. So, so I wrote one. And, and so that's what I mean. There was sort of like, there was a utility of function of like, oh, we don't have a psalm. We don't have a psalm response uh, musical setting for the psalm this Sunday. I'm going to go off and write one. Or, oh, we've never you know um whenever we read the the whenever it comes around the liturgical year the passage of isaiah 61 of like the spirit of the lord god is upon me because he's anointed me it's like oh well um you know what would that sound like if it was chanted and so it was just it was there was there was stuff like that where it created opportunities to create music specifically within a function of like ministry but then I would, because I was a musician, I would find myself late, up late at night at my apartment, continuing to write songs right. or driving around in my car, listening to modern worship music. And then that's when like songs like Your Grace is Enough and stuff like that started coming out. But it was still in some ways there was a utility of function. We were doing a weekly worship night with adoration and teaching. And so, so many of my early songs that's just where it came from. I was just serving locally in a context and I 
played music. So it, it just sort of all, it just sort of fit. And I had no idea where any of it was going to go. Right. Yeah. It, it sounds like uh, you had a passion for music and art. Uh, there was a skill that you, you know, you, you honed over education and, and over time. And there was a need that was that was placed right in front of you. And so yeah. that all fell together. And in a certain sense, it's they were ordinary things that happened in your life. And uh, and I, I think you can give we can give glory to God uh, in in turning that ordinary into extraordinary. Yes. And that's and that's precisely the point. That's so great, Eric, is that is that God takes ordinary things that we do and makes makes them into extraordinary um things or events or moments that help transform other people's lives that this side of heaven we we don't even fully know yeah yeah and that's encouraging i think for me and for all of us here at uh at the upper room conference and with the proclaim movement in that we're invited to uh to be faithful to god in our relationship with him and to continually seek the opportunity to respond to the needs uh, of the moment and to use our gifts and our passions and our love for God to serve um, in, in ordinary ways and uh, trusting that God can do extraordinary things. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of distractions from that right now. Right. And yeah. it's funny, even in talking about it and looking back on it and going, wow, it's such a simple time. But it was really great. There was, you know, the the advantage of the moment now is that we can know what other people in other dioceses or other communities are doing. But the disadvantage right now is that we can become so fixated on what other people in other dioceses and other places are doing and spend our time either disappointed that what we're doing doesn't look like what they're doing. Yeah. Which which isn't even like it's just our perception of what they're doing. It's not actually yeah. what they're doing. It's filtered. Right. It's filtered through, you know, 15 second clips and, and Instagram posts. And, you know, it's it's not. Yeah, it's not the. It's not, <laughs> it's not the nitty gritty. I, I watched Nacho Libre yeah. with 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 my oldest son uh, two nights ago. And so <laughs> I, all I could think of was let's get down to the nitty gritty. Yes. And it, yeah, it's not it. it you don't you don't get the monotony of the day in and day out. That's just, that's just part of the ordinary of what, of whatever it is that we're doing and that yeah. we're called to do and try to bear the character of Christ while we do it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'd love to ask a little bit of, uh, as a missionary disciple, where you see the Holy Spirit moving in your life and, and how he's, and how the Holy Spirit is inviting you into mission today. Um, I mean, I guess I would, I mean, I would probably say first and foremost, just my family, uh, you know, um, when the pandemic started, I immediately had a sense of how sort of intimately close God was and sort of pressing into the moment. And it's just really been about, I think, loving my family well and responding to the call of a deeper interior conversion. And not to simplify it, but it's sort of like, get your house in order, get your own house in order. Um, and I think, so my wife and I are uh, celebrating 10 years of marriage, uh, actually this week. And so I, I think 
you know, and I shared earlier, you know, we're homeschooling three kids this fall. Um, so I'm not touring. I'm not playing concerts. It's really strange after, I mean, 15 years. And I, I've, you know, I've traveled a lot in those 15 years, excuse me. So the whiplash of that is a lot to process. Um, and so that's why I think in some ways, like God's saying, hey, you really need to focus on, you know, just tending your house. Um, mm -hmm. And so some of it's, I mean, I shouldn't even, some of it, a lot of it's just about um, a, just a deeper sense of, I think, the Holy Spirit illuminating and exposing things that um, th that God wants to change, to transform, to heal, to mend. Um, you know, it's sort of like, it's like spring cleaning, you know, like you, you, uh, you know, you, you start looking through old stuff and you're like, why do I still have this? I don't need this anymore. I haven't used this, whatever this widget or this thing is, I, you know, we can just get rid of it. We don't need it anymore. Yeah. And some of that can be patterns of thinking. Some, some of that can be, um, uh, you know, ways of looking at ourselves negatively or, um, or not even necessarily negatively, like uh, uh, not realistically enough. Just, mm -hmm. you know, I think. So what I would say is it feels like God's been about a work of transparent honesty with me in my own heart. Um, I've felt particularly called to ask for the intercession of St. Joseph. Okay. Um, and I don't necessarily even know why. Except I would say that... Um, I love that, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he saints get like nicknames. It's like, and one of his is terror of demons, which I'm just, I think is pretty awesome for, <laughs> for any mortal man to have yeah. as a nickname, terror of demons. Yeah. So, you know, and I think a lot of it would be that uh, within the context of the Holy family, he was, a, he was the father of Jesus and the husband of Mary and a mortal man. Mm-hmm married to a woman who is conceived without sin father to the son of god and um you know there's no there's no story of him bailing or falling short as a husband as a dad as a carpenter <laughs> um you know peter has got the story of being a bad fisherman sort of like it's in the scriptures it's sort of implied in the context right he's like look we were out there all night and didn't catch anything yeah but there's nothing on that about joseph so yeah i've been i think um drawn to ask for his intercession in this time i think particularly because as a dad this is the first time where like after like i said after 15 years of traveling so much you know it's it's really just about family Mm -hmm. And and the family as domestic church, and um, really trying to step in, um, to sort of just be there as a dad, and to love my wife and support her, and to be available to my kids. So it's been really there have been so many sweet times, and some really challenging times. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of times, and when it comes to the scriptures, we just sort of overlook the humanity of the moment or of the yeah. context. Um, and uh, and I think that every grace was given, uh, afforded um, St. Joseph. And just the picture of that, the picture of 
of patience and and virtue uh, and integrity that he was. Um, it's just really, it's really admirable. Yeah, as um, you're speaking into that space, I'm hearing because you said earlier, uh, you know, part of your story is hearing God say to you, "I believe in you," and I'm sure Joseph would have received that same word. Uh, us looking from the outside in, yeah. it's yeah, it's hard to see that a mortal could take that that role. I think some of it, you know, not to get too psychological about it, uh, but some of the psychology of being a man in your mid forties um, and being somebody who's an artist is very easy when you're a creative person to be very driven. And we live in a day and age that sort of encourages that sense of drive of the need to accomplish sort of like there are, there are mountains that you need to climb. Right. And then the idea that along come your children and you start to realize that the legacy of who they are as people and their character and um, sort of the evidence of that and the evidence of your marriage and what it is that you're shaping as a, as a sacrament, like as a visible sign of God's love to the world. Either those things are more important than the legacy of your career or they're not. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, some people would say, Oh, well, they're both equally important. And I'm like, man, I just don't in the eyes of God, you know, we're not sitting around here commiserating on what Joseph built as a carpenter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not Paul was a tent maker. We're not sitting talking around, but man, those were some pretty amazing tents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that there's something, something in that that's very convicting. That I think, especially in this day and age, when we're sort of at a crossroads uh, on a sociological level, on a cultural level, and we're asking deep questions about meaning and purpose, and you know, wh- who are we? Where are we going? What's going to happen after this? And I think the idea of, of like a missional church reflecting on that, re-examining and saying, you know what, we're not, you know, to quote John Paul II, we're not the sum of our weaknesses and failures, but we're also not the sum of our successes and victories. We're also not the sum of our economic output in a society. And we're not the sum of our utilitarian measure, whatever function we have. We're, we're more. Mm-hmm. And in, but the more, I think, and this is the hard part, I think this is with the gospel, the more is deceptively much more simple than we make it out to be. So it, it could just be that the greatest thing that we could do in life is, is to learn how to love God and love our neighbor. And contextually, the way that we do that is through the family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say as missionary disciple is that I'm trying desperately and failing. But then Mm -hmm. by the grace of God, you just you get up and you learn through your mistakes and you learn through forgiveness and grace with each other. Um, Just the importance of family and families being a lighthouse in such a dark time. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's simple in principle and uh, pretty difficult to take in action. <laughs> so difficult. <laughs> yeah. So difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's that moment where you're invited to pray with your children and you're tired or you're, you know, you're ready to put them to bed and, you know, they're looking for uh, a moment of delight or, or affection. And um, in those small moments, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yet principally, you know, those are the moments that refine and, and help each of us grow closer to God and, and, and help our kids see uh, the image of God with right eyes. So, yeah. I, I want to show you this really quick. So my wife, I think, I think it was for Father's Day. She made all these mugs for me. She took pictures of our kids. So here. On the beach. On the beach. Um, yeah. I have another photo of them. And they're, it's about three years younger. And they're on a different beach. But it's the same thing. And I just, I love the image of that. The image of being behind my kids and watching them see the vastness of the horizon and the ocean of mercy mm -hmm. and basically saying like it might be that the greatest thing i get to do is to help keep their eyes fixed on that image yeah yeah wonderful yeah we have some families i know that um you know due to covid are contained perhaps yeah. uh in in hard relationships or you know difficult situations in their homes and in a certain way, they're being invited to sacrifice and to love um, in a more painful way. Um, any, any thoughts to, to that invitation to family life? Yeah, um, we're actually isolating right now because uh, uh, we had some other families that we were sort of like in a pod with <laughs> as, right. as things kind of opened up here. And one other family, friends who had been ex extremely safe. They all, they went and got tested and one of their kids randomly tested positive. And they're like, we don't, we don't even know where she got it or anything. So, um, and we had seen them. So, you know, we, per the CDC recommendations, so we were isolating for two weeks. And, okay. um, you know, this is probably the fourth time that we've been through something like that, aside from initially when the lockdown first happened. Um, you know, I mean, obviously what I would say is that, um, you know, s emotional and mental health and safety um, is something that I think that the church um though recently has tried to affirm the importance of has has probably been playing catch up right and so you know my encouragement particularly to parents is to uh if there are ways that you can talk your stuff out when your kids are asleep or they're not around or you can you know go on a back patio and have a quick phone conversation or talk to your spouse. Or if you're a single parent, find someone that you can talk to and process your emotions. Like mm -hmm. I, I feel like as a parent, I'm trying to be real pragmatic about the simplicity of like, how do I be a good dad right now? And I feel like one of the big ways is like, don't take out your frustration on your kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in particular, like my dad passed away several years ago. And I think that's one of the things that I kind of have, I feel like God's used my relationship with my son as a way to kind of work through 
there have been moments where my patience has been tried as a parent. And that's the one of the weirdest things, right? When you're a parent, you wake up someday, you haven't done anything different, right? But for some reason, you don't have the same amount of patience that you had the day before. <laughs> you're like, I didn't, I, I didn't, I prayed the same prayers. I've read the scripture. Like I, I did everything. And for some reason, Lord, I just, my tank is empty today. Yeah. And, and what I would just simply remind like fellow parents is that's not their fault. Mm -hmm. it's not their fault so don't act like it is right um and i think there's a tremendous amount of humility that your kids won't even know that you're you're that you're that's happening but you're acknowledging on an interior level and it's really healthy because you're able to turn to your spouse like i said to someone else vent on an appropriate age appropriate level but and sure. then also pray and like that, that's, I mean, grace, grace improves, you know, nature. And I do believe it's possible that some of us went into this quarantine with aspects of our character that God actually wants to transform. It's like, if you're, a, if you're an inherently impatient person, I do think that it is I'm not saying that you should feel terrible if there hasn't been any noticeable change. What I'm saying is, is that don't lose hope. Mm. and and. It could be that, you know, in sort of through the passing of this and the difficulty of it, um, there is an opportunity for, you know, like I said, deeper, deeper transformation. I think um, for young people, uh, learning how it's difficult because um, you're processing a lot that's going on inside of you. There's just so much transformation so much like change that's happening. But I guess one of the things would be is just, you know, we always talk about holiness as a teenager is like learning how to respect your parents and stuff. Um, and that just feels so trite. Mm. But once again, like I think in the same way as, you know, my kids are right now, they're little kids, right? So they're, like I said, they're nine, six and, and four. And this week we've just finally hit ahead. And so I finally, um, in homeschooling, which, by the way, that's the total irony of God, because my wife and I always made jokes that, like, we're never going to homeschool our kids. <laughs> um, but my youngest is reciting. He's memorizing a poem right now by Robert Louis Stevenson called The Whole, Whole Duty of Children. And, um, uh, you know, it's a child should say what is true and speak when he is spoken to and behave mannerly at the table, at least as well as he is able. Yeah. But the second line of, and speak when he has spoken to, like my kids will walk into a room and just sort of demand everyone's attention. And when they're little kids, we just sort of kind of go, well, that's adorable. And yes, we want to do that. But part of it is like kind of, you have to help kids grow up. And so as a parent, like how you shape your children and how you inform them of like, hey, there's this thing that you do. And um, uh, so, but how I talk to my nine-year-old is different than how I'm going to talk to my four-year-old. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess what I would say, like as teenagers, like this is an opportunity to grow in self-reflection. Um, I, I don't know how you reconcile having a spiritual life or a prayer life and being super involved in social media. Because I think what I've found 
is that the more I'm on Instagram, the less prone I am to pray. Mm. I wish it was different. Mm. But I've, I've overall, I think at this point in my life, I can say, and maybe this makes me an old man. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like that's like one of the things I would say, like in this time is that like, don't right now, a lot of young people are turning to social media as escape for what's going on in their family. And I connection. Yes, it's so important. It's so how it's important to our health to stay connected with people. But if there's a way that you can be connected in less incremental spurts and more like really connected with an individual person, I guess, I think that, that I'm, I'm not a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, I should have said that first, <laughs> but I would feel that that would probably be much more beneficial. Having a, having a serious, even if it's on FaceTime, having a serious conversation with one person where you're really talking about what's going on inside uh, right. mentally and emotionally. Is probably way more beneficial than just sitting there scrolling for 40 minutes. Uh, I think I'm hearing two key or two, two concepts from uh, Pope Francis document Evangelii Gaudium coming to mind. The first is the invitation for homes to become missionary outposts. And I think uh, as you're speaking to the, the moments that you have in your home, the responsibility, the privilege, the blessing, uh, you're, you're building your home as a missionary outpost to be a witness to the world. So I hear that. The second thing I hear, and, uh, and it, it somewhat came out of the, um, I guess, the principle of, you know, trying to keep things simple, but to also uh, find ways to, to help you uh, to, to be encouraged and to help moments uh, in your day-to-day in -day family life. Uh, is the concept of uh, having uh, learning the art of accompaniment and uh, and needing fellow disciples, friends, people in your um, in your circle uh, who can be a word of encouragement, a soundboard, a a place where you can uh, express some frustrations and and uh, and allow for them to strengthen you in your in your in your life in your in your journey. Yeah, I would say absolutely. I think in, in any family, any household, there's like administrative tasks. There's stuff that has to get done, but that's not what makes you a family. So my wife and I are really good at doing that, at like delegating tasks of like, oh, we need to do this and let's do this. And then we're going to do this. And you're taking out the trash and all it's recycling and so-and-so needs to study this. And, and that part we do really well. But the part that we're trying to grow in right now is the part of expressing like, hey, I found myself just sort of thinking about this for 40 minutes randomly, or I read this news story and it made me really anxious, or um, uh, I saw this thing and it, it really made me sad. And actually taking the time to just really talk about what we're thinking about and how we feel. Because, I, because what I'm realizing right now is that I think that that's actually one of the things that we were struggling with is that we were less and less doing that. And um, I think long-term that's what creates a lot of the problems that exist in like familial, you know, relationships. We're just not listening and talking to each other. Matt, uh, last year at our Upper Room Conference, we had uh, Sister Miriam Eidland come to sure. speak uh, to us. I know you know her well. And uh, she spoke of, um, I guess, another concept. She invited us to go into our inner room uh, in our hearts to, um, you know, to allow Jesus to 
um, to heal us and to be close to us before we move into the outer room. The, the idea of allowing for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to send us out into mission. I'm hearing themes of that as you're speaking. Uh, the importance of uh, growing in intimacy with, with God and with our, our families, uh, restoring relationships, keeping them close in order to, um, to also be filled with the Holy Spirit to go out into mission. So I'd love to, oh, go for it. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I I put out a new album in the beginning of March and uh, which is like a half live album. Oh, it's mostly a live album with some, some new studio songs called Live and Breathing. And there's a song in there called Light the Way Mm. that was written last July or June, I believe. And um, there's a, there's a line sort of in the, the, the lyrics and the bridge of that, I think, have been something that I've referenced because I don't necessarily know where all my song ideas or song stuff comes from. Sometimes they just, sometimes it just sort of appears, but the consistent thing seems to be that it's usually something that God is trying to say to me or it's something that God is calling me to reflect on. And so the way that he's figured out how to get me to do that is make it a song lyric so that I have to sing it over and over again. (laughs) Um, but basically the lyric says, you're lighting up um, my future, you're lighting up my faith, you're lighting up my wonder with endless grace. You're mm. lighting up my failures, you're lighting up my fears, everything I've carried over all these years. And what I've realized is that when we, as the church, pray for Pentecost to come, we pray for the fire of the Holy Spirit to illuminate, to you know, set our hearts on fire, all that. Well, it lights up everything. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think the fun, one of the fundamental themes of Exodus with the Israelites was that God led them out of slavery, but they actually didn't know how to be free. So it took 40 years to shake it off them because they had in every aspect of their life sort of embraced a mentality of that. And I think a lot of times when we look at, you know, conversion, we sort of think of it as this immediate process. But I think what the sacramental life of the church shows us is that it, it is a process by which our whole lives are sort of reconformed and mm-hmm. reformed around and towards and in the image of Christ. So I think when we're praying for the Holy Spirit to illuminate, what you have to realize is God's going to light up things that you're going to enjoy seeing, and God's going to light up things that you didn't. You were you were like I I uh, why are we why are we staring at this right now? Right. Yeah. And I think the purpose of it is that it's once again, and that's the thing, fire is a catalyst, but it's also a um, it it cauterizes wounds. So it's a process of purification. So I think, you know, in this season, it's definitely been a thing of God sort of reaffirming um, desires or dreams that I've had um, in life, in, you know, in family, in music even. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also with it, it's a double-edged sword of going like, you know, and it's not even a conditional thing of like, if you won't deal with this, then you're not going to get, but it is hard in the sense that there is stuff that um, it doesn't make us less lovable to God. 
and I don't understand how it all works, but um, it, yeah, I don't know the mystery of why some doors open in life and other doors don't open in life. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've learned to accept it and it is a mystery and I'll never fully understand it. And that um, sometimes there are, you know, um, there are opportunities to come and opportunities that go in life. And so, and, and I, and I think this even has to do with once again, asking for the Holy spirit to, to descend on people and bring change. Like somebody's watching this and they think that they're headed down a certain career path. And it's like, well, you're asking the Holy spirit to light up your path and it might obliterate the career path you thought you were going to take. Right. And that's actually a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Which feels, yeah, you, know, you know what I mean? Which feels counterintuitive from a worldly sense to say, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it's it's like that moment when Peter's standing on the boat, Jesus is inviting him to step out. It's it's completely uh, counterintuitive to to step out of a boat and to to try to walk on water, but with our eyes fixed on Jesus, you know, miracles happen. It's it's the ordinary moments in our life where uh in trust and in faith and in allowing the Holy Spirit to lighten uh the path, uh we get to see extraordinary things through God who who uh who who makes all all those wonderful things happen can i share one more thing absolutely like i i and i i i should have sent this earlier you know but when you you know you we were talking about just sort of like i don't know lessons learned during this time and especially that people have been struggling with the difficulty of it you know um we were about a month in no it was probably three weeks into the pandemic and my school the school that our kids go normally attend as a Catholic school, we, we filmed a mass. Um, I was part of a team of people that filmed the mass for the school. And so I got to receive communion and it was, it was actually right before Holy week. Yeah. And, um, after mass, uh, I was, I was in the back of the church playing music by myself. And after mass, I went up to the sacristy and, um, the pastor uh, distributed the Eucharist, gave me the Eucharist. And I walked around the corner and I immediately, I burst into tears and I was sort of overwhelmed and I had no idea what was happening. And because it, it's not, I wasn't sort of planning on for this reaction, but immediately I had this sense of, of our Lord just telling me, look, a lot of people right now are going to be focused on the fact that they can't receive communion. Mm -hmm. He's like, and I want you to meditate on my, on the loneliness that I felt oh. in, in knowing that there would come a time and, I, and it was also because it was right before Holy Week. But just knowing that Jesus would institute the Eucharist at a time when, knowing that 2,000 years later, there would be a moment when his church, when reception of the Eucharist would be sort of hindered in such a, mm -hmm. such a powerful, in such a, <clears throat> such a big way. And, and my, I guess what I would say is my, my invitation to people right now with this, um, there's a lot of different people who are struggling with this in many aspects. Some are mental, some are emotional, some are financial. Um, and I think the the call upon the church right now, um, it could be to demonstrate 
in humility uh, and with all grace, um, instead of focusing on what we can and cannot do because of this pandemic, focusing on still what God is able to accomplish, even as we cooperate with uh, local and federal governments in trying to alleviate this pandemic. Because I think we're over, we're, we're basically missing a huge opportunity to display Christian virtue. And I think of every great saint in history never asked for the circumstances of, of the moment in which they demonstrated the virtue of Christ. They never asked for that circumstance. You don't sit around for your life going, God, I pray that this is the way that I get to demonstrate the character of Christ. It just happens. And either you miss it or you don't. And, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and so I would say, and I say this with all conviction, there's a lot of things happening in society right now. And I see a lot of Christians just getting caught up in the emotion of the moment and missing the opportunity to demonstrate the character of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when it comes to something like this, especially during a respiratory pandemic, the opportunity to demonstrate the humility um, and servant nature of Christ, especially in such a selfish age, I, you know, which I think that is something that uniformly everyone can agree upon. I, it would be truly countercultural. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to converse and to share your story and experience and wisdom uh, with us. And for our upper room participants, I know that there um, there is something that the Holy Spirit is doing, and I hope that this conversation has been a blessing to to all of our our participants.